Genesis chapter 39, page 30, if you're in the Pew Bible. And this uh, forms some backdrop for the lesson this morning, so I'll do this reading. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him from there. Had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. And we all know what that meant. Okay? But he refused... With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came uh, came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And so there was some... Evil intent, there was some temptation, and Joseph deals with that, and we're going to finish this story in a bit. When I was about uh, six or seven years old, it seemed like we were always fighting with the Quigley kids. The Quigley kids lived next door, and on a summer day, one of those days when you're a kid, when you're running around, having fun, it's warm, it's wonderful... You've got no shoes on your feet because you're just out playing. We got in some kind of row with the Quigley kids. And so what I remember about this particular incident was that I took a piece of uh, asphalt that was about this big and I hurled it at Milana Quigley as Milana Quigley ran for refuge inside her garage. I actually wasn't intending to hit the girl, really. Like, like hitting her with a, a piece of asphalt that size would not have been funny. I really wasn't trying to hit her. However, just as she went into the, was, as she was going into the garage, like it hit her heel. Like she, no shoes on, so she's running for the garage, and she has her heel up like this, and the asphalt hits her right in the back of the heel. <sighs> like a wimp, she cried. <laughs> she, yeah, she should have cried. She went in the house. And um, her mother, whose name was Aurora, which 
I love to say her name because it reminded me of bathroom tissue. And I often talked, I often talked to the kids in the family about the fact that their mother's name was toilet paper. Aurora came out of the house a moment later because Aurora didn't have any bandages in her house. And so she has to go next door to my mother and get bandages. And of course, she didn't just get bandages. She has to tell on me. And so later on, my backside was uh, warmed at least as hot as the day uh, of the summer in which I threw the asphalt. That was really a mistake. Um, and so we had this relationship with the Quigley kids where sometimes we were great friends. You know how it can be with kids. You know, you can be great friends one moment, but the next moment, you know, who knows what's going on with you. So one day, I, I think I, I may have told this story before. Dickie Quigley, who was the youngest of the Quigleys, there were four of them. Dickie, one day, crawls over our, our fence from his backyard into our backyard because the Quigley kids noticed that the apples on our tree were superior to the apples uh, in their backyard. So Dickie, who is the smallest of all, and no doubt was the one who got the short end of the stick here, he crawls across the fence, climbs up into our tree, and proceeds to pick a bunch of apples. The problem is, is that after you've picked the tree clean of apples, and you've got all these apples in your T-shirt, you know how you would take your T-shirt and fold it up and put all the apples right here? Now how are you going to get back over the fence? And, and he couldn't. Dickie couldn't get back over the fence. And so he did what any bright boy would do. He came to our back door and knocked on the door and asked if he could go through the house. <laughs> so he was stealing the apples from our tree, and then he wants to go through our house in order to get back to his house and, and give his, I'm sure, anxiously waiting brothers and sisters some of our apples. Now, what was also kind of interesting about this was that Dickie's father whose name I can't remember because I couldn't make fun of it, I guess. Um, he was a grocery store manager. And so he had access to all the produce that he could possibly want. And he could bring apples home, I'm sure, whenever he wanted. But Dickie has to crawl the fence and get the apples out of our tree. It was just too much of a temptation for that young man to handle. He couldn't take it. They looked so good, I am sure, those apples. And so he couldn't take it. And uh, wouldn't it be nice if all of the temptations that we ever had to face in life were as, in some sense, trouble-free and innocuous as that one? Wouldn't it be nice if we only had to deal with apples on trees? But we don't. In fact, let me do this for just a second. This is easy to do. I want you to just think of that which is most tempting to you. There is something in your life which constitutes for you the preeminent temptation. Everybody in the room knows it now, what your own one is. Not that everybody knows yours. But you all know exactly what your preeminent temptation is. You know that there's something in your life that you typically just quite, can't quite handle. Now maybe most of the time you're successful. It may be that most of the time or all of the time you don't carry through with what you just thought of. But for many people, for many Christians, a lot of times we do.
don't we? And even if we don't carry through with some action that we've just thought of, oftentimes we're going to carry through with the thoughts of the actions. And the fact is that most, if not all, of these temptations that we just thought about, because they're sinful, are a lot more destructive than just stealing a few apples off of the neighbor's tree. It is guaranteed, for example, that we have someone here this morning who's tempted by pornography. Guaranteed. A room this size, this many guys, I guarantee you there's somebody here who is tempted with internet pornography. It's likely that we have someone here who is tempted to have an affair with a coworker. That wouldn't surprise me at all in a group this size to think that that's the case. It is likely that we have somebody here who is tempted to and maybe has committed spousal abuse. All the statistics would say that in our church family, as many people as we have here, somebody has committed spousal abuse. It's likely that we have somebody here who's tempted to make abuse or tempted to abuse addictive substances in some way. And so the fact is, is that not all of our temptations are as innocuous as stealing a few apples off of a tree. If someone here is tempted by pornography... It may be that their personal well-being and the otherwise healthy relationships that they have in life are in jeopardy. It may be that if someone participates in an affair, that there's the potential for multiple lives to be ruined with decades of recovery needed to rebuild lives and relationships. If spousal abuse occurs, injury or death could be the result. Not to mention the emotional pain and destructive style of living and relating that is involved. If you abuse substances or are an addict, death could come early for you. Generations may follow after you. Many lives could be negatively affected by your addiction. The fact is that we know that giving in to temptation and the sin that is a result works to destroy our relationships with God. And so the subject... Talking about temptation is relevant. This is not just a preacher who stands up and who yells at a group of people about hell and sin and God's judgment. The way that we sometimes have characterized those preachers of the past who have done just that. And then if I was to talk about temptation and overcoming temptation, then somebody would go home and say, boy, we really got that hell-fired damnation sermon today from Kelly. Boy, was he sounding judgmental today and harsh. That's not the spirit here. It's not the attitude here. My concern is that temptation is incredibly destructive if given into. And my concern is that a moment ago, when I said to you all, I want you to think of the thing in your life which is most tempting for you as far as sin. That I would not be wrong in saying, I think, that everybody in the room thought of something. And if it's as destructive as that, 
and you were able to think of something, then we better talk about this. We're talking about your life. We're talking about its success. The consequences of giving into sin are typically so much larger than we suppose. The consequences can be huge. Here's a story I read on the internet this week. This is a story of a 10-year-old cat named Rudy. Got his head stuck in the garbage disposal. He thought that there was some fish in the garbage disposal waiting for him, so he stuck his head down in the garbage disposal. You can see this happening. The cat crawls up onto the counter, smells the fish in the garbage disposal, sticks his head down inside the, that hole, the drain, but now his ears went in there too. And he's trying to pull his head out, and he can't get it out. And the cat is scrambling around. This lady hears her husband scream from the kitchen. She comes in. She sees scrambling legs and tail and body of a cat, but it lists, it's a headless cat because the cat's head is down inside the garbage disposal. The story goes on. They call the plumber. The plumber explained to them that underneath the sink where the garbage disposal is, there's a black plastic collar ring, and if you turn that ring, you're going to be able to detach the garbage disposal. The whole thing is going to loose, and you're going to be able to get that off, and that was fine. He was able to get the disposal off, but now he's got, as he looks underneath the sink, a cat's head looking at him. And so the cat is peering at him, and he's peering at the cat. So you got the garbage disposal off, but the cat's head is still stuck in the sink. The drain didn't come out with it. What are you going to do? So they took the sink out of the counter along with the cat, inside the sink. They then loaded up the sink in a truck. This was, by the way, after they had called the police and the fire department. The fire department came, didn't know what to do, and they just left. The cops came, happened to be two cat lovers. So when the cops were there, they put the drain and everything inside the car, and the the, uh, police escort took them to the cat hospital so that they could could, uh, remove the cat from the sink. They ended up that the the veterinarian had a tool that enabled them to actually cut through the the sink just a little bit, enough to loosen it, and then they smeared the the, uh, cat's head with Vaseline or something and were able eventually to to pull the the cat's head out, and the cat was actually fine at the end. Take Take a guess how much it cost them to get the cat out of the sink. Now, it wasn't 5000 but it was a fifth of that. It cost them $1,100 to get the cat out of the drain. All because the cat smelled some rotten fish in a garbage disposal that had already been chewed up and was probably washed away by now. There are consequences to our sin. And sometimes... They're astronomical, more than we could ever dream they would be. And that's one reason why we need to be careful. Wouldn't it be nice if it was only cats that were tempted with things like that? Wouldn't it be nice if we never got trapped in our own garbage disposals, in our own sinks, with our heads down there so tight that we can't get out? All for trying to follow something that's going down the drain anyway. 
The fact is, is that if temptations take hold of our lives, we end up with our heads stuck in garbage disposals. And life is not a game. Life is not a game. We allow things in our lives to grab hold of us in tempting ways and we give in and it is horribly destructive. And the things that we look at that we think at the time are going to be okay or they're not that bad or nobody's going to know or somehow this is going to work out, they end up coming back and, you know, not just getting us, but in so many cases, destroying us, wrecking our lives. And this is not a joke. You know, since the, uh, since the original announcement about Troy and Jackie and the sinful relationship that they carried on at Journey Church, we haven't said a whole lot. But the incident makes the point about the destructiveness of giving in to temptation. This is not just something to gossip about, and I don't want to gossip about it this morning. It's not a situation to which we point to with pride and say, well, that would never happen to me. And I don't want to point at my brother Troy, whom I still consider my brother, and say, I always knew there was something wrong with him. I didn't. Troy is one of my dearest friends in the world. I've known him well. I can tell you at least two things. One is that Troy has been at his points, at points in his life as godly as you or me. He's loved the Lord. He served the Lord. He wanted to be like Christ. He's been sincere and loving and has wanted to follow the Bible. That's one thing. The second thing is, we have as much capacity to be ungodly as Troy does. You've heard the story of Charles Spurgeon who finished preaching one day and he leaves the pulpit, leaves the church. He's walking with a friend through the streets of London and they see a gutter drunk right outside the church. Spurgeon turns and he says to his friend, there but by the grace of God am I. Because Spurgeon knew that it could be, it could be him. He could be the one who would be the gutter drink, drunk. And we need to recognize our capacity to fall. Jackie fell. And I've heard you speak of this girl who grew up here in this church and about how much she loved the Lord. And I believe that's true. But she fell. And if Troy, whom I knew very well, and Jackie, whom you knew very well, had the capacity to fall, you know what's coming. 
then we have the capacity to fall. We have the capacity to give give in to temptation. And God does not want us to. And so there's an awful lot for us to fear. Maybe I need to be shouting and raving about hell this morning. Maybe I need to be talking about judgment. Maybe I need to scare somebody into realizing how serious it is to give in to temptation. If that's what is necessary in order for my friend and your friend to not fall, then I'm willing to do that. I can get excited and yell if it means trying to say to someone, don't get caught up in sin, don't allow yourself to fall to temptation. so destructive we have to see that you know I'd love to tell you this morning that there won't be any negative residual effects to Troy and Jackie's affair I'd love to tell you that I'd love to say the journey's going to be okay and the kids are going to be okay everything's going to be alright but I'm afraid it won't I'm afraid that the residual effects will be lifelong in some cases. And we need to pray for those kids. And we need to pray for that church. Because somebody gave in to temptation, and it would be a lie for me to tell you that there were going to be no residual effects. Church, what does the Bible say is the wages of sin? Death! The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And sin is simply the result of giving in to temptation. And when temptation comes and sin comes, death is the result. It shouldn't shock us when things go awry. Do you remember what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife came after him? He ran. Absolutely ran out of her clutches. Because he knew the destructiveness of sin. We need to run. We need to run from temptation because the consequences of our giving into sin can seldom be fully imagined. We don't have a clue of how destructive our sinfulness can be. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that when my friend Troy made this mistake, that he had no idea about the pain that it was going to cause the people, not only in his direct life, but in the lives of so many hundreds of people. And we have to be careful. The temptation is common to us all. There's no doubt about that. Greg, if you want to put up the overhead... There's a passage here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 that I start with. The seriousness of temptation is something that Scripture talks about. Look at this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Jesus himself knows the seriousness of sin. He knows the seriousness of temptation. He understands what it's like for us to be tempted too. 
But what was the response of Jesus to temptation? He didn't give in. He certainly didn't easily give in. He didn't give in at all. And if Jesus was faced with temptation and did not give in, then I have no doubt but that he expects us also to not give in. We need to say, as Nike says, or is it, well, it's not Nike. Nike says just do it. Uh, <laughs> what? That wouldn't work. What is the one that says just say no? Who is that? It's who? It's Nancy Reagan? I don't want to quote Nancy Reagan. Okay. Let's, okay, I'd love to, I'd love to say let's, but I don't think I will, because this is probably going to go out taped to somebody. Okay, so, yeah, of course not. We're going to say no. Jesus wants us to say no. He wants us to look at temptation and say no. The easiest answer in the world is to say yes. And as we just pointed out, that's a motto that the world says. But we want to say no the way that Jesus said no. Do you think that we have the capacity to say no? Like, are we so weak as Christians that we can't ever say no? It seems to me like the the Spirit of Christ working within us is going to allow us to say no. And we need to say no. And so this week, maybe today, one of you is going to be faced with the option and the possibility of giving in to the temptation, whatever that might be. Boy, I'm no prophet, but I can say that's the case. It's going to come for you. It's going to happen. How will you respond? Christ wants you to say no. He wants us to be on our guards. Jesus also said, for we do not have a high priest who is unable, or Hebrews writer says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Ah, that's the wrong passage. There. Sorry. Matthew 6.13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus specifically prayed that we would not be put in a position of being tempted and being led into evil. Watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Did Jesus not know us well? He did know us well. He was one of us, and he recognized the problem. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Three times, he says, I want you to pray about this. Recognize your ability to fall, how easy this would be for you, and don't give in. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But even then, in the process of restoring somebody else to Christ, watch yourself or you also may be tempted. And we all know that it's around us everywhere. And we could easily give in. And Christ wants us not to give in. And so my encouragement this morning is resistance. Because the destructiveness of sin is a horrible consequence of which you want nothing. On Friday, Robin and I were getting ready to go out of town and I went to a grocery store. I went to Safeway. And I went and you know, bought a bunch of things. We were going to go up in the mountains and so I bought a bunch of food for going up in the mountains. And I had underneath, in the bottom of my cart, uh, a, a 12-pack of bottled water and a case of Nest Tea iced tea. And I went through the self-serve, check yourself out. Okay, So I, you know, I had all kinds of other things in the top of the basket. But in the bottom, I just had the 
water and the tea in their cases. So I ran everything through the barcode reader, you know, paid with my debit card, got out to my van, started putting everything in, and I realized when I unloaded the basket that I hadn't paid for the water and I hadn't paid for the tea. They were on the bottom of the basket and I just missed them and hadn't run them through the barcode. For a moment, for an instant, I confess. I thought to myself, I could get away with this. For a moment, that thought ran through my mind. I thought, I'm already out of the store. This stuff, I'm putting it in my van right now. Nobody's caught me. I'm going to save myself six bucks here. And then I thought to myself, just as quickly as the other thought came, do you not have an ounce of integrity? I thought, are you going to sacrifice your integrity for $6 worth of pop and water? And of course, I went back in and paid. I wish I could tell you that the thought didn't even cross my mind. But I have a past, just like you have a past. There are things that tempt us. And in the end, God expects us to respond to temptation by saying no. We need to say no. There is somebody here who this week, maybe today, it's going to happen. And I pray, I hope, that you say no. Next week, we're going to talk about the ways that will help us, the things that will help us to say no. Let's pray. Lord God, sin is so destructive, and you know it. You watched your children fall in the garden, and you watched what it's done to us throughout the rest of the history of humankind. And we know, God, that that's not what you want for us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to be strong. Help us to face temptation with no. Help help us to make the right decisions. Father, we pray that the strength of your spirit would be with everyone in this room who this week, even today, could be tempted. And we pray that with the power of your strength and your spirit with us, that we would stand with integrity for you. Help us to make those wise decisions and to say no to temptation. Through Christ we pray. Amen.